Hello and welcome to our weekly podcast from Faith Point Church, Auckland, New Zealand. We hope you will encounter God afresh in this week's teaching segment. If you enjoy this podcast and would like to hear more, then you can visit us at www.faithpoint.org.nz. And now for today's message. All right, here's our verse for today, Matthew 10, 38. Whoever finds his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Whoever finds his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake shall find it. One of Jesus' riddles. So let's, let's unpack it this morning as we ask for the Holy Spirit's help. Lord, we thank you this morning. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your unbelievable love. And we thank you once again, Lord, that you are wisdom itself. At the beginning of the world, wisdom created the earth. That's you, Lord. And you have wisdom to fill our minds and hearts this morning to unpack what you mean in this verse. And we ask for the Holy Spirit's help to teach us, to give us understanding, to counsel us this morning. I pray and ask, Lord, for your anointing to deliver this word that you've placed upon my heart in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. I wonder if you've ever thought, that's it. Enough is enough. I can't carry on like this anymore. Sometimes we think it. Sometimes we say it. Oftentimes when we come to an end of ourselves, it's the chapter of a new beginning within our life. And often it's indicative that change is required within our lives when we come to that place where we, we hit a major full stop and there seems to be nothing else left in the tank. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? I'm sure most of you have been there in this place as I have many, many times. And in the scriptures, it's amazing to find out that the, the heroes of the faith, many of them had turnaround moments within their lives where they just came to a place of being absolutely spent. They had nothing else left in the tank. They didn't know what to do next. They'd run out of gas. They had no more ideas for the future, and they thought it was the end. And you know, that's often the place that we come to, and this is, I think, part of what Jesus is talking about when he says that when we're looking and searching for life without God in our life, when we're searching to find a life, he said, you're going to lose it. But he said, if you're prepared to lose your life for the sake of Christ and the gospel, there is going to come a gain within your life. So many of us, we pursue what the world pursues, even as believers, but we don't find life. We find that we're losing life. We're going backwards, not forwards. Because the pursuit that we have within our lives is in the wrong direction and focused on the wrong things and the wrong priorities. Jesus said, isn't that a riddle? He who finds his life will lose it. Well, we're all looking 
to find our life, right? We're all looking to make meaning of life, to understand what the purpose of life is. But Jesus said, if you're going to do it that way, then you're going to end up losing it. But if you're prepared to lose yourself for the sake of the gospel, then you are going to gain a Christ kind of life that is a completely different realm in which, uh, in, which, in which God desires us to live from. The position that we're living from is that we're prepared to do what Christ wants us to do. And sometimes that feels like we're heading in a completely different direction to what the world says, to climb the ladder of success, to do this, to follow these principles and your life will be successful. But if Christ isn't in the midst of it, Jesus said you're going to lose out. And it's so easily to be, it's so easy for us to be drawn into a false world of false promises that says we can find life if we'll just be the man, if we'll be that successful person that the world wants to look up to. But if Christ isn't in that equation, if, it, if the steps of a good man are not being ordered by the Lord, then we're going to find ourselves failing and falling short. And so I want to unpack that tonight, how God wants to turn our loss into gain. How Jesus wants us to be able to find the God kind of life in the midst of our circumstances. And we're going to unpack a little bit of what that means today. You know, um, the word spent means to be consumed or exhausted. He became a spent force. Second definition in the dictionary means to pass time in a particular manner. He spent time in Fiji last week, ministering to the leadership. Or thirdly, to give one's blood, to give one's life for some cause. And this is the definition I want to talk to you about today, because I believe that this is what Christ is meaning today. He wants us to track with Him in such a way that we find ourselves being completely spent for the kingdom of God, sowing our whole life to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Doesn't that sound like living a spent life for God, expending everything that you have for the sake of the kingdom, prioritizing within your life what the kingdom says is important, not what the pleasures of this world say is important today? It sounds like I'm trying to give you a fun buster sort of a message. Did you know that Jesus said that when we find the life that He gives, it's an abundant life. It's a life of enjoyment. It's a life of fun. It's not a life of trying to take away all your pleasures and rob those pleasures out of your life. It just depends what sort of pleasures is exciting you right now. Because there's no greater pleasure than loving God with everything that you have and feeling the reward of seeing what comes back from sowing into eternal things that will bring and reap a reward in the future. You may not see it immediately, but I tell you what, one day every one of us will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. The Bible says we're all going to have an appointment. You won't be able to take someone else into the room with you. You won't be able to prop yourself up with your support group. One day every single one of us are going to have to stand before Jesus as believers to give an account of how we live the Christ life. Did we seek to find our life and we lost Jesus along the way? 
Or did we lose our life for His sake and we found Christ and we found the rewards of eternity within that kind of life? You know, I think of a few people, three people this morning that come to mind who found themselves at the end of their tether, expending energy, pouring themselves out, but finding that they were climbing a ladder that was leaning against the wrong wall. And they got to the top of the ladder and they found out, oops, this isn't my destination. I've got to get this ladder on that other wall. So I've got to climb down off this ladder and climb up another ladder that's leaning against God's purposes, God's wall for your life. I think of Moses. We talk about finding a life. Man, he had the best of the best. He had the best cuisine. He had the chefs of the Egyptian palaces looking after his diet. He had the finest clothes of the modern day time that he lived in. There were no better threads than you got in Egypt. So he had the best food. He had the best clothes. He probably had the best bed where he could sleep in luxury in the palace. And yet he'd found this life in Egypt, but it didn't have any satisfaction. He sang Mick Jagger's song, I can't get no satisfaction. Can't quite do the lip thing. He was like a rolling stone in Egypt. He had everything at his disposal and yet there was a deep emptiness within his soul because what the life he was pursuing wasn't going to have a God kind of satisfaction to it. He who finds his life will end up losing it. But he who loses his life for my sake will find it. Moses had to come to that point that all of us come to at various stages within our life, particularly when we find ourselves getting off track, being distracted, being diverted, following a breadcrumb that leads to the wrong place within our life. How many of you know that living in the 21st century, there's never been a more distracting time to live our lives in than now? We are distracted at every single turn. Our lives are filled with screens and on those screens, everybody wants a piece of your life and a piece of your money. Come on now. Everywhere we turn, billboards, magazines, digital marketing, everywhere we go, we've got things thrown into our face that if you just get this or if you purchase this, then you will find your life. And so we dive headlong into it to find that a month down the track, there is no satisfaction because we're looking for life in the wrong places. So one day Moses, he's starting to feel something about his heritage. He knows, he knows, that, he knows that his bloodline, that he's a Hebrew of Hebrews, that Pharaoh's daughter rescued him from the creek in a baby basket. And she took him into the palace and raised Moses as one of her own. And so he's been raised in the ways of the Egyptians, but he's, his blood, his bloodline goes back to Abraham. His bloodline is a Hebrew of Hebrews. And one day he sees two men fighting and he steps in to try and sort it out. And he kills a man 
There's another song about that, isn't there? I won't, won't go there. <laughs> All these songs coming to me this morning. <laughs> he kills a man and suddenly he finds that he's actually hit rock bottom. He should have been enjoying the best of his life and he flees because he believes that he's going to be killed for murdering another man. He spends 40 years finding his life all over again. He was a spent force at that moment, and now God is about to rearrange his life. He's giving him a 40-year rebuild. Can you imagine that? Some of us want to do our ministry. We want to get into ministry tomorrow. Tomorrow, Lord, why do I have to wait so long? It's been a whole year. Try 40 to prepare him for the task that it was in. You see, often we're not looking at the telescope of time that Andrew brought in prophecy this morning. We're looking through our natural eyes and we think it should be now. And God says, "Uh, uh, uh-uh-uh, I've got to prepare you for this huge calling that's on your life and it's going to take you 40 years. And in that 40-year period, I'm going to rebuild you, Moses, so that you can spend your life and be spent for the sake of the kingdom of God and to see my purposes come about, which we see happening in the Scripture. I think of Samson. Samson, who had the most unusual anointing in the whole of the Bible. You know, most, uh, most cartoonists and artists that draw Samson, they draw, Mr. U- they draw another version of Arnold Schwarzenegger when he won Mr. Universe. That's how we think Samson was that he was, he was muscle-bound, six shining, gleaming six-pack, Samson. But you know what? It wasn't his strength, it was God's strength. I wonder if he was a puny, Mr. Puniverse, not Mr. Universe. And that was what was so amazing about him was that he's had such incredible strength and everybody knew he had a gift from God. And there was a secret to that gift that no scissor would ever touch his hair. He was a Nazarite from birth. The day his hair was cut is the day that he would lose his supernatural strength. But you see, Samson was into loose woman and fast donkeys. Samson, (laughs) Samson had a major flaw within his life and he continually got distracted by beautiful woman. He continually got distracted and torn away from the call of God. You know what God called him to be? A judge and a leader of the people of God. And he sold out his calling. He sold out from birth the prophetic word that was over his life. Did you know an angel turned up to prophesy over him? Incredible calling over his life. But he continually turned in the wrong direction within his life. And this is what happened. He went, he went one woman too many. And in that point, she asked him the secret of his strength and he sold out his calling. You see, Samson was trying to find a life outside of the calling of God within his life, and he lost it. You know what happened? The Philistines were all in on the plot. They were all behind the scenes, 
and they came to arrest him. And Delilah goes, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. And he went out as if he were to go out before as he'd done many times. But he did, the Bible says he did not understand that God had left him. Wow. He was looking to find his life in the wrong place and he lost it. He was arrested. He was made a mockery of. His eyes, his physical eyeballs were gouged out of his skull while he was alive. He became blind and they used him. They used him as a turnstile to press out the grain. And so he, would, he, he, became, he went from being a mighty judge of Israel with supernatural, superhuman strength to completely losing everything that people would come and they would jeer as he walked round and round the turnstile with no sight and, uh, and with nothing left around his life that resembled anything from God. He'd lost everything. Samson became spent on the wrong things and God was about to do something new because every day that he was walking around that thing, you see, this is the great thing about God, friends. He always has a redemptive plan for your life. No matter how much we screw things up, this is the great thing about the living God. He's a God of redemption. He's a God of restoration. He's a God of forgiveness. He's a God that loves to restore. And as Samson, every day, as he walked around and around that turnstile, every day what they didn't realize was his hair was growing back. Every day, a little bit more hair was growing. A little bit more hair was growing. And with that, the secret of his strength. Oh, until one day when there was a massive conference and a gathering, thousands of people there. He has a private conversation with God. And he suddenly realized his lifetime call was to be spent for the purposes of God. And in one final act, like someone else I know, he stretched out his arms pressed against two pillars that were holding everything up and with supernatural anointing, the pillars came crushing down and thousands of God's enemies were destroyed in one last act of bravery and courage where he also lost his own life, but he had spent himself for the purposes of the kingdom of heaven. Wow. The last person I want to talk about this morning is a man called Saul. And this man called Saul was spending his life hunting down Christians to kill them. This man, Saul, had a love for God, but he just didn't understand who God was. And so he would be he would be given license to go to this place and to go to that place. And anybody that was there that was a follower of Christ in this new church that had broken out and was breaking out all over the place, God was doing amazing things. He would find out where they were and then he would capture them and they would either be killed or they would be thrown into jail. And so he's now saying, I've heard they're all the way up in Damascus. He seeks counsel from Jerusalem and he says, I'm going to go and I'm going to get them and I'm going to lock them away. And so he's on the road. He's on a donkey too. I don't think it was very fast, but he's on that donkey that day on the road to Damascus. And suddenly there's a blinding light. Everybody saw the blinding light, but nobody else but Saul heard the voice. Saul, Saul, 
Why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? It is me, Jesus, that you're persecuting. And Jesus directly speaks verbally, out loud to Saul and changes his whole world at that point in time. Not just with the voice of the Lord, but he's blinded. Isn't it amazing, these events that take place in people's lives? So Saul, who is being spent as a Pharisee of Pharisees, who's, who's hunting down Christians to put them in jail and to see them stoned and murdered, suddenly has an encounter where change begins in his life. He thinks he's found his life, but he's actually losing it. And now he's about to find life in Christ in order to gain something for eternity. And in that moment, he's physically blinded and the Lord speaks to him and says, go your way and I'm going to send somebody to see you in a few days time. He spends three days, no food, no water. That's what you call a true fast. But the Bible says he's praying. He's praying continuously. And I love this story because if we can just take it up um, on, we've got the verses up on screen. Here's the verses that tell us about this story in Acts chapter 9, verse 10. Now there was a certain disciple named Ananias, and to him the Lord said in the vision, Ananias, and he said, here I am, Lord. So the Lord said to him, arise and go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus, for behold, he is praying. You know, a prophet recently came to Auckland. And he called people out of the audience, called them by name, had, their, had their, their addresses, had the names of their children. And we go, ooh, ah, and I'm not, listen, I'm not dissing this, but I'm saying this is where we should be living at. This is what's available to us. Ananias is a normal, ordinary bloke, like you and I, or a bloke S. He's just like us, but suddenly he's receiving information from God about where a man lives, what his name is, and what he's doing. And then he says, go to his house. I want you to pray for him that he might receive his sight. What a phenomenal encounter that's going on here. See, this is the kind of life that he who loses his life for my sake, how did this, this come to the man? He's praying. He's in the presence of the Lord. He's pursuing a life with God. And as a result, God is bringing clarity into his world about things that he's got him to do in other parts of the world. And because he's got him right where he wants him, he's completely sold out for Jesus Christ. Then God can speak to him and give him mysteries that we can only dream about, can give him insider information that's about to change the world. This one act is the result of the gospel going to Europe. Did you know the thousands of cathedrals and churches all over the world is due to this man's obedience? Hello. Come on, I want you to think about this carefully. Because this man, Saul, that he's going to pray for is the one that takes the gospel to Europe. 
He's heading in another direction and suddenly he has a dream in the middle of the night where he sees a man saying, come over here and help us. He changes his direction from east, goes west and takes the gospel to Europe and plants churches all through Europe. That's the kind of God life that I'm talking about. He that loses his life for my sake. He's only out for one thing, to be obedient to Christ, to move in an anointing and the level of the anointing that is going to set people's lives free. So he rocks up at the address, knocks on the door, knows exactly who's waiting for him. He prays for Saul. Look what happens. Verse 15, but the Lord said to him, Ananias, go for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. How would you like that sort of prophecy? How many things he must suffer? Oh yeah, bring it on. Let's have that sort of prophecy flowing in the church. And Ananias went his way and entered the house, laying hands on Saul. He said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you came. Isn't this amazing? We have no information in this story that tells us that he's been pre-warned about what's happened in Saul's life. Not only does he get his name, not only does he get his address and the condition of his life that he's blinded, but he also is given the story of what Jesus has done to him on the road to Damascus. He knows everything about it through a word of knowledge. That's what I call moving in the prophetic anointing. And he says this, Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you came has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Woo! Immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales and he received his sight at once and he arose and was baptized. So when he had received food, he was strengthened. Then Saul spent some days with the disciples at Damascus. Friends, this man's life had come to a point where he was so spent climbing the wrong ladder up the wrong wall that God had to dismount him. And God had to start his life all over again so that he could be expended for the kingdom of God and to change the world literally with this call that was about to come on his life. And there's three simple things in this, this verse that I want you to take notice of. The first thing that we see here is that spent people live their life for God's purposes and God's agenda. What did Jesus say? Seek ye, not second, not seek ye third, not seek ye forth, seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things. What things? The things He said, he who finds His life will lose it. The things the world is chasing, that when we get it, we're so dissatisfied that He then has this moment where His whole life is completely changed and turned around through this encounter with God and He's given His purpose and His direction for his life. Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. You see, this is where, friends, this is where we see the rubber meets the road for all of us. And it's plain and simple. Samson was majorly distracted. He had all the equipment on board. If you're a Christian today, you have the Holy Spirit within you. You have the equipment on board to change the world. You have all the tools of the toolbox at your disposal today. 
All the gifts of the Spirit are available to you to move just as Ananias moved. But the crux and the challenge that we bring to you today is, are you able to bring focus to your life in such a way that you can be spent for the kingdom of God this morning? Hallelujah. Number two, spent people live life looking through God's eyes and not our own. Did you notice in this verse, as Ananias prayed for Saul, scales fell from his eyes. And suddenly he was seeing the world in a different way. From that day forward, Saul, who became the great apostle Paul, was looking through eyes of vision. He was looking through eyes of revelation. He was looking through a lens that God had given to him that he previously didn't have. And friends, we have the ability of foresight. We have the ability of insight. We have the ability of sight for the kingdom of God when we begin to look through the Lord's eyes instead of our own eyes. Lord, what is it that you want me to do today? I'm a minister in the marketplace. You've given me a job. This is where I'm working. This is my location. These are the people that I'm working with. How do you want to use me today? Give me your eyes. Is there a word of knowledge that you have for somebody that's going to help them find their purpose? You see, friends, the secret of moving in the prophetic gift and the power of the Holy Spirit, and I saw this just recently on my trip into Fiji, is that what God will do, as He did in this situation, He won't come with a word of knowledge to... to, um, to pull you down, but He'll come with a word of knowledge that sees the future that God has for your life. You may be on a completely different track like Saul was. You might be wandering distracted like Samson was. But when the word of knowledge comes into your life, God is speaking to the redemptive future of your life for His plans for good and not for evil. And God wants to put you on that track. That's why He speaks into it. And He says, down here through the telescope of time, this is, this is my plan for your life. And then it's up to us to make the adjustments with God's help to get on track. Can I hear an amen from you this morning, church? You see, without God's ability to change our eyesight, this is what I've found. We end up with different eyes. The first set of eyes I see a lot, and I've had to really keep these eyes from creeping up on the back door of my life, the eyes of cynicism. of having a critical spirit, maybe towards the body of Christ or maybe towards a Christian leader or maybe towards your husband or towards your wife where your heart begins to be filled with doubts and you just can't see anything good anymore around about you because you're filled with cynicism and you've allowed that wolf to crawl in the back door of your life and suddenly you've got nothing good to say about anybody or anything. It's all criticism. It's all bad news. You know why we get eyes of cynicism? Let me tell you why. We fail to process with God our disappointments. When you fail to process with God the disappointments of your life and allow healing by the Holy Spirit to come in, you will become a cynical person. You will be filled with doubts. Your disappointments will overrule your life. And suddenly out of your mouth will come only criticism and cynicism. 
Eyes of unbelief. Oh, Paul, he wasn't a believer in the people of the way. He wasn't a believer in this new thing that God was doing. God had to pull down that stronghold of unbelief. Some of you that are sitting here today, you once pursued the call of God like, like a greyhound racing around the track. Like the scent of a beagle at Auckland Airport picking up the scent of my $400 banana in my backpack <laughs> that I never knew was there, but the dog knew it was there because he sniffed it out and it cost me $400 banana. <clears throat> I just praise God that I wasn't on border control that night. There was no cameras there to pick up the fact that I got picked. I got picked up. God wants to remove the scales of unbelief so that we can walk ahead with faith in our heart. You know, just a few years ago, what we, what we see here and what we see happening in Fiji and in the nations of the world, that was all just a dream. But now it's a reality. Now we're bringing other pastors into the ministry. Now we're ordaining new leaders into the ministry. Now we're right on the precipice of starting a second church in Fiji. Why is it? It's because I refuse to allow unbelief to stop the progress of the kingdom within my life, just as you also can refuse unbelief. If the devil says you can't, you need to say, why not? God says I can. With God, all things are possible to them who believe this morning. What about eyes of prejudice? Paul, Saul was a one-eyed Pharisee. He only saw the world through a monocultural lens. As far as Saul was concerned, the Jews were the only race that God would have dealings with. It was a sin to sit down and have a meal with a non-Jewish person. As far as a Hebrew was concerned, God so dramatically changed his eyesight at this event with Ananias that he became the apostle to the Gentiles. That God called him and gave him the treasure of the gospel and said, I now want you to take it to non-Jewish people because everyone who believes can be saved. Paul, I want you to go now. I've taken the prejudice out of your heart. I've taken your one-eyed Pharisee outlook and removed it from you. And now I'm giving you my eyes, which are not eyes of prejudice. You know what I say? I hear so many Kiwis. And please forgive me if this is your stance or your viewpoint. But I see so many Kiwis moaning and complaining about migrants coming to New Zealand. Some of us are very prejudiced. You know what? God said to the church in New Zealand, you won't go, so I'm going to send them to New Zealand. He said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. So why have we got so many migrants in New Zealand now? I'll tell you why. Because God's sending them to New Zealand to get saved. He's sending them to this nation that they might believe. And I love it. I love it. So we have racial prejudices that God wants to deal with. We have people prejudices. We have followings in the church. Ah, oh, I follow Paul. I follow Apollos. And we get into all these personality cult followings in the church. God never wants us to follow a man. He wants us to follow Christ. Amen. And so Paul had this problem. He said, I, I've, heard, I've heard what you're doing. One of you have said, no, Apollos is my leader. And the other one said, no, 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 it's Paul that's my leader. And he says, you're all corrupt in your thinking. He said, these are only ministers through whom you've believed the gospel. 
They're not gods, they're men. They're people that God's put within your life to simply believe the gospel through. So let's get out of the personality cult of the church and let's get back to the leader and the head of the church. His name is Jesus Christ and He's the one that we want to follow. And obviously eyes that are easily distracted. We lose our focus. We lose our way. We have no fresh revelation from God. Did you know that the Bible says in Proverbs 29 verse 18, without a vision, the people, without a vision, the people, what do they do? They perish. Do you want to perish? Do you have a vision? Do you have a direction in your life? Is there something that you're carrying within your life that has God's DNA all over it? It's got God's thumbprint, His fingerprint, all five fingers of the hand of God upon your life that God has implanted within your life so that you're not distracted to pursue and follow a life that is dissatisfying and unfulfilling because it's not God's road for your life today. How do we get God's vision? Listen to this, Matthew 5, 8. Blessed are the pure in heart. Why? Because they shall see God. They shall see God. I remember hearing the story of a minister who was caught up in pornography. This is before the digital age. He would go and preach at conferences and he would reward himself between conference sessions if he felt he preached well enough to go and pervert a Playboy magazine in between sessions because he'd preached so well. He went to, one day he got so sick of this impurity that was invading his life and he tried every mechanism, everything that he could think of. He went to this person, he went to that person. He even went to his oversight, the regional overseer for his denomination and confessed his sin to him. And you know what happened? The regional overseer said to him, I'm sorry, I can't help you. I've got the same problem. He was gifted, he was called by God, but he had a major distraction within his life called the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes. Friends, do you know how he got delivered in the end? What a tremendous story. He was reading the Beatitudes one day and he read this verse and suddenly he realized that he could be set free by having purity within and a desire for purity within his heart and that he realized, this is what turned him around. He realized that he was robbing God of the ability for him to see clearly who God was in his life because his heart had been filled with impurity. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. They shall see God. And suddenly he realized, God, I've been missing out on you. I've been missing out on seeing you as you truly are because my heart's been filled with lust and impurity. I didn't even know who you are. I thought I knew who you were, but I can't know who you are because my mind has been overtaken by all this junk. And he repented and he got set free and he got delivered from something that had plagued his life for years and years and years. Blessed are they who are not offended because of me. Lastly, I'm not going to spend long on this because we know what it is. Spent people who are spending their lives on pursuing the call of God are spirit-filled people. Did you notice? Number one, he had the call. 
to the Gentiles. Number two, he could see with the eyes of God. Number three, number three, friends, immediately he was filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately he was filled with the Holy Spirit. Wow. Paul said, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Present continuous tense means this. Be filled every day and go on being filled. Some people say, well, I got filled with the Spirit 25 years ago and spoke in tongues for the first time. My question to you is, what happened since 25 years ago? Have you had an ongoing infilling every day of the Holy Spirit? Because every day that you give out, every day that you pour out, God needs to pour back into your life to be filled in an ongoing way with the Holy Spirit. Because because He is the answer for the world that we live in. Friends, and I'm shocked. I'm shocked today that so many people and Christians are being filled with the counterfeit spirit. What do you mean? And I'm not railing because I, I, I'm not into this, you know, rail on, rail on people. You shouldn't be smoking. You shouldn't be drinking. And the Bible doesn't condemn alcohol. It condemns drunkenness. But I'm shocked at how many Christians get drunk. If it's a problem for you, stay away. You're being filled with the wrong spirit. It's a counterfeit spirit. Drunk people do dumb things. You ask any nurse that works in accident and emergency, they will tell you how dumb people can really be. Amen, Jen? Amen. They will tell you. So that's not the spirit we want. We want the Holy Spirit. We want the Spirit of God to fill our lives again and again and again. As I conclude, let me offer to you the final call of Paul's life. When Apostle Paul wrote these words, this is what he said. He said in 2 Timothy, this is the old pastor talking to the young pastor. And he's giving some, some words of advice from all the years he's walked with the Lord. And he says this, As for me, my life has been poured out as an offering to God. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that beautiful? He's saying, I've lived my life every day. I've been picked up, tipped over, and I've been poured out on behalf of other people. Wow. He says, the time of my death is near. And he could testify these words. I have fought the good fight. I've finished my race. And I have remained faithful. And now the prize awaits me, the crown of righteousness. The Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that great day of His return. And the prize is not just for me, but for all who eagerly look forward to His glorious return. Friends, can I ask you a question today? Are you looking forward sincerely to the second coming of Christ? Is it something that you're longing for to be united with a physical Jesus Christ? who's coming to return to this planet? Is it something that you look forward to? Because he's, Paul says here, everyone's going to be given a crown who eagerly awaits and looks forward to the return of Jesus Christ. I think it says something to us that we're trying to find life in a different place when we have no expectation or eagerness for the return of the Lord. Because our vision and our focus has been filled with other stuff and it's pushed out that expectancy of that beautiful, glorious reunification between the Bride of Christ and Jesus Christ today. Winston Churchill said this, we make a living by what we get, but we make a life by what we give. We make a living by what we get. We make a life 
by what we give. Could I ask you all to stand, please?